how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to the show. This episode, I sat down with Eric Martin to discuss Heels and Loki Season 2. We talk about writing the show Heels with Michael Cauldron, where the idea came from from Michael, getting personal stories and big work, writing Loki, where you're sort of rooting for the bad guy, also with WandaVision or Moon Knight, what it means to trust your audience, and why he always puts character first when it comes to storytelling. This interview will also be available on the Creative Screenwriting website. Well, you know, I guess uh, movies and TV in general, I guess it's like kind of all, always what I've wanted to do. Um, I really, I don't think I can ever remember a time in which it wasn't like the, uh, the main interest in my life, even from being like a little kid. Um, screenwriting in particular, I was a little bit late to. Um, I was kind of a latchkey kid. Uh, there was nobody to really tell me to do my homework. And I always viewed writing as work. Like that was something to, uh, to get done. And then I can go watch movies and uh, not have to worry about that. Um, but there were really, a, there were a series of teachers that just kept pulling me aside. And they'd tell me like, well, you're a writer like do you, do you enjoy this and it was like uh yeah no i mean i just want to make movies like whatever that means um but it, it kept happening and um you know eventually the the message just got through that like oh no like i need to take this seriously and like put in that kind of effort and um you know that's just kind of how it happened was there something they pointed out that's still like a strength today? Was it just story structure, creativity, anything that stands out? Um, you know, I think uh, it was like clarity. Uh, like the ideas I was trying to present like were just there. And um, like story structure stuff, I've just always, I've always had because I think I just consume, I wasted my youth just consuming movies. And so I think like that uh, hero's journey story structure just got in there. There was a, uh, a teacher in high school, Janet Mason, who um, she taught us uh, essay writing structure through the hero's journey. And uh, that like, it just made sense to me. And I think that was like one of the early things where she's like, uh, yeah, no, like you seem to have some sort of understanding of this. Uh, and yeah, you know, just wasted my youth watching stuff. So I guess it worked. So some people are, you know, early young writers, maybe against the hero's journey because they want to do something different. What are your thoughts about the hero's journey? I mean, audiences certainly expect it. How can you play into it or use it to your advantage? You know, I, I don't actually think about it. Um, I, I don't think about any sort of structure when I write. And, you know, I think it's fine. Like, yeah, don't use the hero's journey. Do use it. Um, I, I personally hate writing textbooks. Like any book to tell you how to write, I think is bullshit. I hope I can say bullshit. Sorry. Um, I, I think you kind of just 
pick it up, you can understand it. And like, you know, people can, can guide you. There can be teachers, but so in terms of hero's journey, I think like so much of it's just baked in. People might say like, Oh, I'm not following that. But like, guess what? If, if we're going to use it as an analytical tool, I can break your story down into it. It's just there. I think it's part of like the Western storytelling ethic. It probably goes back to like biblical storytelling, but I, I think there's also a psychological aspect for how the human mind works and learns lessons. If I look at um, storytelling structure, it's essentially how we learn things and how we change. You can kind of map those things onto each other and it's the same thing. So, you know, use it or don't. I mean, I don't actually like use it. I don't think about it, but like it's there whether I want it to be or not. If you were kind of maybe teaching a one-on-one course, throw the books aside, watch a lot of movies, what else would you tell students to do? Uh, Go live some life. Like um, don't try to just like read a bunch of things and, and use any kind of theory on anything, like live some life. And I think you'll understand anything like that on a much deeper level. I think it's pretty easy to learn this story, like like learn story structure, um, emulate things that you've seen, but I see a lot of stuff out there and it feels very hollow, but I think the people that do really depthful work have lived interesting lives and have had interesting journeys. And that's why there's a voice. So like, just get out and do stuff, like have some relationships, have your heart broken, go see the world. Like, I don't know, like, I I don't think there's any one mold for anybody, but I don't think you're learning anything in a book that's going to help you do really interesting work. Before you um, started writing for Loki, did you have kind of a, a calling card? Like what were people looking to you for? What kind of themes or style did they kind of notice about you? Um, It's character character and story um when i start anything like every journey just starts with the character like who are they i I just if i'm going to sit down to write something i go take long walks or runs and i just kind of think about the person in this world that is going to be the the center of everything and i don't write anything until i know them well enough that they kind of tell the story for me, if that makes sense. Like I, I can put them in, in situations to test their worldview and like, that's just going to tell the story for me. So that's kind of always been the thing. I character and story. Can you use the, the show Hills as an example for people that haven't seen it? Like what was the original idea? How did that kind of get shaped up? Uh, well, that started with Michael Waldron. Uh, actually, that started all the way back in our grad school days. I remember he came back from uh, Christmas vacation and he's like, I've got an idea. And essentially, it, it just started with character as well. It was like, there are two brothers and they're in this world of professional wrestling and it's a legacy for them. Their father was in it first and it's the Spade family. You have uh, Ace, Jack, and King was their dad. And Ace and Jack, they have certain personas in the ring that that do not match their personas in real life. Uh, One is a heel, one is a face. And, you know, he told me that and it was immediately like, oh, okay, like, I get it. That makes total sense. 
I understand where that goes, what that's like, and and what we're kind of saying about the like general human experience. So, I mean, again, I think you just start from character and then everything else can make sense and you can find all the, the big storytelling tapestry stuff beyond that. You don't have to lose that. In fact, it's all enriched because of that. Before you maybe like pursue a, a spec idea or write a script, something like that, do you feel like you need that really concise log line like that, like with your own work? Um, no, this is probably a bad habit business-wise, but um, I I don't think of things like that. The log line is what I kind of come to after I've gotten the thing out of my head onto the page. Um, I try not to think about theme. I'm not thinking about any sort of lesson. I'm just thinking character in the world and like who this person is, where they came from, what did they want and what do they actually want? And I just kind of let that go. And I try to write from the subconscious, if that makes sense, where I'm just kind of letting myself find that story. And inevitably, I will find little beats that I know I'm going to. And I'll usually have like an ending that it just comes into my head. I know that's where I'm going to go. And then in terms of a log line, like that's one of the last things I do where I'm trying to sum up what this thing is. Um, and I know a lot of people don't work that way. And I think like from a business perspective, it's a lot easier to have this thing of like, okay, it's about X, uh, here, greater world buy this from me. Um, but you know, for me anyway, I don't find that's the best path to like depthful, interesting character driven work. I don't think the world looks like that. I think everything is like so imprecise around us and we try to like create, organization and like shove it in there, but things don't really work that way. Um, so everything I'm doing is just trying to like organically find this stuff. And then after I get that first draft, it's like, okay, what am I trying to tell myself? What am I working through? Like, like then I look at it like a psychologist, like I'm going to read this and try to understand, oh, okay, you're working through some issues in this stuff. All right. Okay. That makes total sense. I haven't dealt with that. That's what this story is. That's what's here. And then I go through and I do my next pass on it. And I'm going to start bringing up some of those levels and start to weave through some of those themes. But I try to do it organically. I don't want something to feel like I'm preaching to you about anything. I want everything to be an exploration of a thing rather than, oh, this is how it is. Because look, I don't know. I might have some sense that, you know, this is how the world works or this, how this is how things should be. But um, I have enough humility to know that like, I don't have the answer for everyone. So let's just explore the thing and the idea and then like, let it just present to the world in that way. Sorry. That was probably a, a long no, answer for a short question. No, that's great. I love it. Do you, um, do you see value in that regardless of whether or not something sells? It sounds like when it's that personal to you that it's all beneficial. I mean, obviously you want something to sell, but whether or not it does, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, um, I think people always want, you always hear it like, well, why are you the person to tell this story? Um, why is this important to you? I, I hate answering those questions because I want the work to speak for itself. Like I'm writing so I don't have to say those things, you know? Um, 
but I think every story is very important for me in that way where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get something out, something out of myself. So yeah, it's, it's really important. Like even if it sells or not, like it doesn't matter. And, in, and sometimes it's actually, it can work against me in that it's so cathartic to get it out that I feel like I've actually like, I've achieved this thing in a way of like, oh, okay, I got that out of myself. I don't have to wake up in fear that I'm going to die before I get this story written. Like there, there's like a relaxation that can happen after that. And it's like, as we know, that's not the end of the journey with screenwriting. Like that's just the beginning. You have to get that thing out there because it doesn't count until it's actually been produced. With so many options now, they used to kind of say some things might literally be too personal. There might not be an audience for it. It seems like there's an audience for everything. Do you kind of agree with that? What are your thoughts on being like super hyper-focused and personal with your work? I, you know, I, I think for me personally, I think there's a market for everything. Um, you just have to be realistic about it when you're writing the thing. Like, if you want to do something very personal and esoteric, like you probably shouldn't write on a tapestry that's going to require $200 million to make it, right? Like that, that's not going to turn out well for you. But I think you can make something on that level and it be really personal. You just have to gear it properly. And I don't think there's a precise way to like describe how to do that. For me, I think it's like feeling the thing through and I don't know. I, I'm, I've watched so many things that I can kind of just like, oh, okay, it works in this world. Like, okay, this is like a David Lean uh, grand epic thing. Okay, how do I ground that? Like, who's the person that lives in that? And like, it's all of those little decisions that go into creating the overall larger thing that still has some personal stakes to it. Um. To kind of catch us up, how did you get involved with Loki? How did you initially get kind of hired for that job? Um, I was Waldron's first call. Uh, when um, So Heels, we had written that whole season and everyone was really high on it, but like we couldn't get it cast because we're dealing with like professional wrestlers and nobody quite knew who to hire to play those roles. And so that went on a shelf and it was just kind of like, all right, well, we're back to square one. And then uh, when Michael was talking to Marvel about Loki, I was his first call because like we're uh, dear friends and like trusted collaborators. So he called me and said, Hey, I think this thing's going to be like real, like let's talk and see, you know, where we think this can go. What were some of your early talks like? I've, I've talked to some other, you know, Marvel creators and you, you kind of have a ballpark to play in, but you guys were kind of coming in at the end of the, you know, the giant first wave or whatever you want to call it. Like, did you have a lot of freedom or what limitations were there? How did you kind of start to shape up a series? Yeah. So we were, um, WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier were, They've already they'd already started their rooms and they were up and running by the time we started. And uh, I think we ended up having quite a bit of freedom because I think everybody was focused on those things. And so we had gotten pretty far down the road with like our really weird show by the time like people started paying attention to us. And, you know, there was just so much work done and so much care given to making something that that was a little bit different, but still just a fun ride. 
And by the time people started looking at it, it was like, oh, okay, like you guys are doing something interesting here and kind of just like, like, let's see where you go with it. And, you know, obviously there are certain things where it's like, eh, don't do this, don't do that. But uh, by and large, like people really bought into the idea of it all and gave us that free space to just chase it. What was kind of the, maybe the tone that they wanted to go for? So I would say like WandaVision and Loki kind of lean into more, we're rooting for the bad guy, although the word bad guy is not really accurate anymore. What was kind of the tone they were going for? Could you go too far? Uh, and then Moon Knight came along and it was a little bit even further possibly, but where were you trying to kind of go with that? Um, You know, I think we were kind of feeling that out in the early days. Um, there were iterations that were a little more comedic. And we kind of pulled that down a little bit and we started looking at things like Zodiac as like, okay, let's kind of lean into that realm where it's still going to, we were going to keep the the quirky humor that we had built, but start to ground it a little bit more in this investigative, noirish kind of tone. And so, you know, like anything, it's like, there's that that kind of feel that we all had and we just it took a little while to like hone in and get there and i was like okay yeah this is it this is it and then slowly just whittling down and just every step of the way i think kind of polishing it up and getting it to just that place where it's like yeah no no this is right zodiac such a specific reference because it's like i've had uh, 10 conversations like is that horror or not like how do you think about zodiac i don't know zodiac is interesting because i think like a lot of uh fincher stuff I don't know if I would even I would even say it fits within any kind of genre. It is investigative, but we're not even following the cops for so much of that investigation. Uh, you know, we're following this illustrator, uh, and it's also funny. Like, there's some quirky humor in there. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is so great in that. Um, I don't know. I, I I think it is this weird non-genre thing that ultimately like i think we kind of imprint on in an, in an interesting way what do you want to do differently about season two um i don't know if i wanted to do something like specifically different um obviously you know i'm a different person so i'm a different writer than michael um and so i just approached everything like okay character 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 like if i'm thinking about the overall swath of the 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 season i'm thinking about that in, in character terms if i'm thinking about a scene it's like okay where is this person's head right now so like everything i'm filtering through character first and emotion and like trying to just let those characters tell us that story rather than trying to force stuff upon them um yeah and i i, I think i really wanted to like have a sense of, of tension and just weight to it all, like a certain gravity. I think we had that in season one, but it felt like, oh, I think we could actually go even further with that and have a weight and just a, a sense of dread to it all. Because ultimately, like, there was a big pivot point at the end of season one. So we need to, like, listen to that and let that change things. And, like, they're season two starts with this huge power vacuum and that's a cataclysm and it creates chaos. So I'm just going to follow that. 
but yeah, so I don't know. I wasn't, there wasn't anything like one specific thing, like, Oh, we didn't do that. Well, we need to change it. It's like, no, no, let's take what we've done, but just let it evolve naturally and just chase great character work. Are there any conversations about like who the audience is? I know when these, this first wave of shows came on Disney, it was like a little confusing maybe because I mean, all those movies are PG 13, some are darker than others um, with a few oh, season twos out now. What are those conversations like? Like which audience we're trying to get with it? Yeah. Like, or, do, or do you even have those conversations? No, I mean, there really wasn't anything like that. The conversations are really just about the creative. I mean, I imagine if we'd just gone so far afield with some of the stuff, we'd probably get the note like, who are you making this for? Like, are you just making this for yourself? Like, great, you're not Stanley Kubrick. Get back in the box. But, you know, I, I, I try to be realistic about this. Like, look, there are many millions of dollars being spent on this. It can't be a super esoteric let's only talk to like the 30,000 people that uh, love art film in New York and LA. Like, no, no, like this needs to register with a lot of people, but I do look around and I see a lot of stuff being made that doesn't really trust the intelligence of its audience. And I think we have a very smart audience. So like, let's, let's challenge them with some of this stuff. And, but also like make sure like we're entertaining along the way. Anything change in the writer's room when you start to like deal with time travel? Are there different outlines or the way you approach some of those things? Not really. So the way I approach the time travel, it's like, that's not the first thing. That is part of the toolbox. That's part of like what we have to paint this picture, but it isn't everything. Like I'm always starting from characters. So it's like, okay, where are these people? What are they doing? But I know when you get into a certain situation, it's like, oh, wait a second. There's like maybe a time travel device we can use with this. Like uh, in episode one, when Loki is having that conversation with OB essentially across two different moments in time, um, that just kind of came naturally. Like that wasn't trying to force some time travel stuff in this. It was just like, oh, well, wait a second. Wait, if Loki ends up in the past, he could just be talking to OB then. And then we just play that scene as if OB is having that realization while he's talking to Mobius. Um, and so I think in that way, I'm sure there are some faults in that, but to, to me, uh, uh, by doing things in that way, it's a little more holistic to the story, a little more natural. It's just like, we're following the story progression rather than like, oh, here's a time travel set piece. Let's try to get that in there. It's like, it's just part of our toolbox. That seemed like it does seem to work. Is that something where you just like, if you kind of repeat it enough in the writer's room, you kind of have a consensus that it makes sense? Like, how do you think about that? Wait, that scene or like that? Yeah, approach? like that scene. Well, that scene in particular, because uh, it does make sense, but I feel like you'd almost have to maybe talk to the actor or just make like, does it, you have to know before you send that in that this reads and it makes enough sense to people because it's, it's a new was, idea. Yeah, no, that, that was something it was like, that was just manna from heaven. It just came to me in the moment, kind of fully formed. I understood what the the conversation was. And when I sat down to write it, I just wrote straight through. I didn't like wait, stop and think like, how does this work? I just wrote, I started and I didn't stop until I was done with that scene. And I went back and looked at it. And that was basically 
what I sent in and it's basically what ended up on the screen. Um, but like I had to read that and make sure this is very clear. But even then it was like, okay, I'm going to share that with my uh, creative exec, Kevin Wright. And I'm just hoping it makes sense to him. Cause to me, I thought like, oh, this feels very straightforward, but every step along the way, everybody got it. Cause I think there's just a certain thing there where people understand like, oh, that's what's, that's what's happening. He's just remembering later now. So I don't know, maybe I just got lucky with that, but that was one of those just gifts from heaven that just came fully formed and ended up working. What's been um, kind of the biggest shifts for you, like kind of moving from maybe writing alone versus writing writing with partners, writing in the writer's room, any, any big differences for you, any advice you'd like to pass along to writers kind of coming up today? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I... I love to write. So I do spend a lot of time writing other things, even like outside of a room and stuff. And sometimes it's a little hard to, to take what I do in my head and bring other people into that process because I'm a writer because I'm not necessarily a great verbal communicator. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm still figuring it out, to be honest, like how to uh, interface in that way. I will say with that scene with Loki and OB, that was something where it's like, okay, I, I, I have to write this. There's no version where I can pass this off to somebody and expect them to turn in something that makes sense in my mind. Cause it would just take longer to really explain that. Uh, so I just need to write it. And I probably just need to get better about like explaining what's in my head and working that out. And uh, I, letting other people kind of take the ball and run with that. So I don't like just sit and write everything. Are there anything else you do differently to collaborate with other people? I'm just trying to think of other, like a lot of people, it's a, it's a big swing or a big difference from writing alone in an office, something like that to having to pitch ideas and share ideas and communicate and, and be part of the room. Any other thoughts on that? Oh, you know what? Yeah. So I do actually have something kind of tangible with that. Um, I'm looking for common ground. Like what is our shared language between me and this other person or me and all the people in the room? Um, like what can we talk about that we'll all get? And if it is this like, let's decide upon one movie that makes sense. And then when we're talking about things and trying to explain what's in our heads, let's always go back to that movie and try to like reference that. Um, it's a little bit of a weird parallel, but I kind of think of it as like, when I talk to somebody who has like big political differences from me, that can just turn into a fight or I can stop and go like, okay, what do we agree on? Let me find that thing that we agree on and let's build out from there. Because ultimately like we all have a lot more that we agree upon, whether it's politics or storytelling than we don't. Uh, and so if you, it's easy to focus on the differences and have those disagreements in a writer's room. But if we stop and like, okay, wait, wait, let's just go back to the thing. Okay, we started from here. We both like this. Let's build out from there. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like a, a nice North Star to kind of communicate with. Um, yeah, shared what, language. Yeah. What were some um, false beliefs you had about screenwriting before you kind of got into the business? What did you wrongfully believe about the business? I don't know if I have anything that I just wrongfully uh, uh, believed. Um, I'm kind of a, a Hollywood history nerd. I've like 
read all the books. Uh, I, 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 I think, in fact, okay, this is what I, I got wrong. I think I was a little bit more jaded coming into it than I am now. Uh, I think I thought it was uh, uh, dirtier than it actually is because, the, you know, things can be difficult when you are collaborating with a bunch of different people. There are disagreements and you're all just kind of putting your heart into this creative endeavor. And so when like an idea is attacked or something, it can feel personal, but ultimately like everybody is out there trying to create something together. And there is this esprit de corps that comes with that, that I think is really inspiring. And like I said, like, it's not always that way. And sometimes things can be very difficult, but um, for the most part, like people just want to make something good. And if you surround yourself with people that want to make good things because they just want that thing to be good, like it doesn't have to be a bad experience at all. And I think I've just read so many horror stories about the Hollywood experience that I came into things thinking like, okay, this is going to be so cutthroat and awful. Like there's just, you just have to survive, but it really isn't that way. If you're careful about who you're working with. With that mentality, was it something you approached where you didn't really have a, a plan B? Like what was your approach in terms of like breaking in the industry? Yeah, it was essentially like burn the ships. Uh, there's no going back. Like this is where you live now. And it's like sink or swim. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't come from a background where there's any sort of money. Like there was no um, safety net growing up. And in fact, like I am the safety net now and I was pretty early on. And I think I there was comfort, not comfort in it, but I think I was comfortable stepping into an uncertain situation, not knowing if I was going to make it or not but that I could survive on very little and had to for quite a while when I was trying to break in, like everything was always just about like, okay, I'll write this weird TV movie because that will give me six months worth of, uh, of rent and I can then survive and then write my own things in that time uh, before I ever have to take on another gig. And it's just like, just keep going, just keep surviving. And, you know, hopefully things will work out. I think the one thing that I um, was able to do to like give myself some form of security, uh, although not a whole lot, but like I went to grad school because I knew if I got that MFA, it was a teaching degree. And if nothing else, I could keep myself from being homeless by, by teaching. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that came with a lot of student loans. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.